All right, so we're going to continue this morning moving through this uh, Foundations of Mindfulness practice. So much of this morning will look much like it did yesterday, except for we're going to be looking for a little bit more particular information, more uh, nuanced information around feeling. So we'll do some sitting meditation, we'll do some standing meditation, we'll do some walking meditation. We'll continue with the theme of the four postures, because I think as you recognized yesterday, that you actually have quite a different relationship to the different postures. That sitting and, wa- and walking are quite different. Lying down is also quite different. And we see that we have, we have preferences around those differences. And I would argue, and it's probably pretty safe to assume, that your preference around different postures has to do with how pleasant or unpleasant the posture might be. Right. So when we start to um, look into the second foundation of mindfulness, we are still in the body and the breath. So when we talk about the body and the breath as being sort of the most basic field of experience, which is a really great field of experience because it's present time, it's always right now. And we find, of course, that we aren't in our bodies so much of the time. We're head on wheels, head without a body. So just by like learning how to be more embodied, more present time, uh, we start to see that we have an awareness that might be a little bit more rich or a little bit deeper. Now, that's the first foundation of experience. The second foundation, so we could say in very simple terms, the body's about sensations. The feeling of a sensation, warm, cool, temperature, sight, sound, taste, smell. We talked about that sort of phenomenological map of there being these sense doors, and we could consider those to be first foundation. Uh, Seeing a sight is a sensation, hearing a sound, which is one of the reasons why we like to do things that, um, that arouse a, a sensory kind of experience. So like going for a hike, for example, people like to t- take hikes. Well, why? Because there's, they're, they're more in tune with the, what they're seeing. They're more in tune with what they're hearing. We do well as a species if we're in some kind of sensory experience where we feel connected to what's happening, which is just kind of obvious. But we forget that that might be true. So as we become more akin and more attuned and more aware of the body, we start to recognize that there's a feeling. Now here, this is where we have to be very clear, here in this aspect of Buddhist practice, feeling does not mean emotion at all. Feeling is the impression that's created by the sensation. So when we think feeling, in English, that's a way too wide of a term. Feeling, we could think, Uh, We could think emotion, I feel happy, I feel sad. We could think of feeling as preference, I feel like tea and not coffee. Uh, We could say physical, I feel hot, I feel cold. So in in English language, feeling is a word that is way too wide in meaning. So when we pull it from the Buddhist framework, this word Vedana, it just means to feel and to know. So there is a way in which we feel something and then we know it's something. So we feel a sensation and we know it as being pleasant or unpleasant. Not that hard to do. Pretty basic map. The problem is, is if we look at it on a timeline, we usually feel it, we know it, and we're gonna do something about it. We react to feelings. So feeling would be more associated probably with our nervous system than it would with emotion. So we have the body, and then the body feels the impression of a sensation as being pleasant or unpleasant. And we want to actually let our perception permeate into that a little bit more before we react. 
So and to some degree, being just mindful or aware of feeling gives us a chance to consider, to be perceptive, to actually feel the feeling, to recognize the feeling before we react to it. Because this is what really kicks in everything for us, is our reactivity around feeling. So we have a pleasant feeling, an unpleasant feeling, or neither feeling. Sometimes it's called neutral. Um, you know, there's not much more to say about that. I mean, I don't think that you're probably scratching your head right now going, that doesn't make any sense. And then, so we just want to be mindful of that. We just want to recognize and see if we can, A, recognize that and to see if we can maybe tolerate that a little bit more or a little bit longer. Now, this is what happens a lot in sitting practice is that you're sitting here and the knees hurt, the body hurts. And then that becomes an obstacle and then we start to really suffer over the fact that my leg hurts a little bit. But we don't learn how to just be mindful of, of what is this feeling? It's unpleasant. <clears throat> Looking at it in terms of physics, is it, is, it, is it stabbing unpleasant? Is it heat unpleasant? Is it warmth? What, 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 what is it really? Because usually what happens is we if we look at the range of Vedana and we become very reactive to it, which most of us are, um, I like to use a sort of scale of like one to ten. Like where on the scale is the Vedana? Is it, uh, is it number three unpleasant? Uh, is it number eight unpleasant? Because a lot of times I'll notice that even a number two unpleasant will get me going. So a lot of times I'll get upset about something or I'll react to something, but when I start to really be mindful of it, I start to think to myself, well, it's really not that big a deal. Like, my knee hurts a little bit. You know, I don't have to get in my car and drive home now because my knee hurts a little bit, but my mind will go there really quick. I'm out of here. <laughs> you might have had an I'm out of here moment. Imagine how bad it'll be in two days if you keep doing this, just stop now. Yeah, exactly, exactly, see? So we, we take the ball and we run with it so much of the time. So in a lot of us, really, our, 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 our set tone is anything, you know, um, anything below <laughs> pleasant number five is no good. So we oftentimes, our, our set point, what is our feeling set point? And that we know as, as human beings, we, we don't like discomfort. We don't like unpleasantness. And unpleasantness, it's not just necessarily about the feeling in the body. There is the discomfort of the body. There is a discomfort of emotion. So uh, the body can have unpleasant Vedana, but so our emotions can also have that. The word you guys would probably use would be valence. What's the valence? What's the kind of overall kind of sense of what's happening? Uh, we could be, have emotional Vedana, which would be an unpleasant disappointment, sadness. And it might be that the height of that might be really high. It might be really, really low. But if we're reacting to unpleasant all the time, we're reacting to it pretty strongly regardless of where it is on that scale. So it might be unpleasant 0.5 and we're already reacting to it because we haven't sat with it, we haven't brought mindfulness to it, we haven't brought any perception to it. We just, you know, we get caught in unpleasant. There's always, why does this always, this always happens to me? Always happens to me. Does anybody have any always happens to me? So what happens is that sankara, that inclination, gets kicked on from the feeling, as you can see it in that map there. The feeling is unpleasant, and we don't actually bring mindfulness to it, we don't bring awareness to it, we don't perceive it in a, in a more 
interested, curious way. We just, what am I going to do about it? 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 And what I've, the benefit from practicing this way is when we become more mindful and more aware of the valence or the Vedana, the feeling, we start to see, oh, maybe, I, maybe it's actually fine. I don't need to do anything about this. This is a, a painful sensation in my knee. I'm, I'm a little bit scared. I, I have a phone call I have to make later that I, I don't want to make. Or, you know, there's something about my uh, body or my emotion or my mind that feels uncomfortable right now. But I can tolerate that. I can be with this discomfort. I don't need to react to it. And that, that's a learned kind of thing. You know, we have, we have to learn how to be able to do that. So we have the unpleasant discomfort of the body. We have the unpleasant discomfort of emotion. And then we also have the mind. I don't know if you've noticed that your mind can sometimes be uncomfortable. <laughs> the unpleasant thoughts, the uncomfortable mental state, uh, the anxiety, the depression, these kind of words, stress, um, just kind of a bad mood, not feeling so great. Uh, that, that also can be, have a charge and a tone of unpleasant. Sometimes these feelings are called feeling tones, sometimes called a hedonic tone or a valence. So the, but it's very general. It's a very, the Buddha is pretty, pretty brilliant in his life, gives you three. And usually the good thing about it is you, you usually don't have to think about which one it is. It's usually right there for you. It's like, that's unpleasant or that's pleasant or that's a, a degree of, of and my, my trick to you is if you're not sure if it's pleasant or unpleasant, you could probably assume that it's neutral. It's neither. And so what happens? Overthink it. Overthink it. That's right. Very easily overthink it. So in, in a general reactivity way, we can, uh, knowing our, our biological response, we'll notice that if something is unpleasant or uncomfortable, we're likely to become aversive to it. We want it to go away. We want to push on it. We become irritated. So we know if it's unpleasant, then that's likely to be the response. If it's pleasant, we're likely to grab at it. We're likely to cling to it, become attached to it, want it to last longer. And if it's neither, the sort of common tendency would be we, we might become bored, or we might feel a sense of lack, or we uh, come to terms with the reality uh, of ordinariness. And I think that when we really look at our lives, our life is fairly ordinary. A lot of the daily activities and the things that we engage in in life is nothing special. It's just walking to the car, it's going to the grocery store, it's taking the towels out of the dryer. It's that, that, that's mostly what we're up to is neutral, kind of, eh, no particular charge. So if we could bring more mindfulness and more awareness and more presence to those experiences, we might find that we are a little bit more engaged. And that would be that uh, that term over there, number three, clear comprehension or sampajano, which is just knowing what you're doing while you're knowing it, while you're doing it. Taking the towels out of the dryer, you know, wiping down the counter, feeding the dog. You know, that, that's, a lot, that's, that's mostly what life is, right? It's like these daily activities, especially for people, people like us who work a lot. It's like, but there's a way in which maybe we can, if we're more present for those experiences, we might find that there's more enjoyment in those experiences. And so that's kind of what we're looking for is uh, this idea that our happiness is not dependent upon our external conditions, but our happiness is dependent on the quality of our awareness. So mindfulness is constantly feeling back into 
the mind, heart, body, and say, well, what's going on here? Uh, what's going on here rather than kind of, you know, the whole organism is designed to be externally focused, right? The eyes go out. Every, all our senses push us into the external sphere. So mindfulness, the reason why it's probably so hard is we're trying to go this way. And you can't see in, um, but you can bring awareness into that and, and see the reactivity and see these things arising. So that's that kind of foundation of experience. So if we look at these foundations and fields, we have the body field and we have this feeling field. And so today we're going to try to just see if we can learn uh, to be in that field and to kind of just see what, what, what's going on there. And then, based on what we learned last night about loving kindness or metta, we want to be able to establish what I call metta vedana, which is a kindness towards whatever the feeling might be. May I be at ease with discomfort. May I be at ease with pleasant. May I be at ease with... And you would think to yourself, well, being at ease with pleasant is easy. But you'd be surprised. A lot of times we get excited. We get overly excited and we kind of get burned out on that. So... Don't, don't assume just because it's pleasant you're able to be with it. You know, sometimes, that, sometimes the pleasant excitement kicks in the anxiety of like, oh, is it actually going to happen? I hope it happens. When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Right. And I want to talk a little bit about... So the Satipatthana breaks down feelings into this verbal form of it means to both feel and to know. So that's kind of what our job here this morning is to just feel and to know. And once you know what it is, you've kind of achieved that task. But he categorizes them in what's called worldly and unworldly feeling, or worldly and unworldly Vedana, which is maybe not uh, that easy to get, to, to understand that. Well, what is worldly, what is unworldly? So we could probably say, well, worldly is that of a material, and unworldly is that of a spiritual. But then again, the word spiritual can be a tricky term. So essentially what they mean by worldly is experiences of the flesh. So worldly pleasant would be like a ripe peach or a television show that you want to watch or music. Anything in the sensory data that comes from the external source. So we have worldly feelings, uh, worldly pleasant. And that's mostly what runs our lives, right? That's what the nature of addiction is, is that we cling and we grab at worldliness, experiences of the flesh, nouns people, places, and things that we want to have. And the, the, the big trick for us, and um, it's not that hard to understand, but the, the Buddhist perspective is saying that your happiness is actually not dependent on the worldly pleasant feelings. But we, we have certainly not learned. I did not learn that growing up in America. I learned the opposite, that that's how you become happy is you get the right external conditions just the way you want them. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't participate in worldly Vedana. That's not what's being said here. It's okay to eat good food and want to live in a nice place. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not, we're not making a moral value on that. But we want to try to see, well, what is unworldly Vedana? What is an unworldly pleasant feeling? And that would be something like gratitude. Right? To be grateful for the good things in your life. That's an unworldly feeling. To be content, to be at ease, to have compassion, to just feel uh, a sort of uh, some 
iconic, meaningful relationship to your life. You know? We've all had those days where you're driving home or at the end of the day and you look back at the day and you feel a sense of meaning and purpose, right? That would be unworldly, pleasant Vedana. Right? A sense of, oh, this is good. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm happy with, with how my life is. But it's not because I got a new Tesla or because, you know, it's because I feel good about how I'm living. And I think if we all get honest, that's actually what we're looking for, is we want to feel good about how we're living. And that's not going to be delivered through some external worldly item. It might for a little while, right? You know, the new sneakers are cool for a couple days and, you know, the, the, the meal is a nice experience. And again, we don't want to think that not that participating in the world is bad and wrong, but we want to have a middle way. We want to be able to participate in the world that makes us feel good about how we do that. But we also want to be aware of this potential for unworldly kind of pleasant Vedana. Now, the unworldly unpleasant would be things like um, regret or something like um, uh, shame or... Um, basically any way in which we've done something that we wish we hadn't done. It's the result of uh, engaging in like a greedy behavior or hateful behavior. And, you know, has anybody ever done anything that they kind of felt bad about doing later? <laughs> that would be uh, unworldly unpleasant, the sort of a sense of, of, of regret or remorse or... Um, and again, we don't want to get, we want to find a middle way. We're not trying to get rid of those, but we want to, we want to learn from those. So if I say something to my partner that I regret having said, it's not that I'm supposed to sit here and give myself a bad time about that, but I'm supposed to learn from that and say, well, maybe next time you have an opportunity, maybe don't say that. And that, that's part of the, the transformation of, of these uh, destructive emotions or these difficult emotions is that we learn from them. You know, you can learn a lot from regret. You can learn a lot from shame. You can learn a lot from these uh, destructive, unpleasant, unworldly feelings if we're actually aware of them and we bring mindfulness to them and we, we investigate them and we say, oh, gee, like, I was really in a bad mood. I maybe having some forgiveness, okay, I, I did or said something I don't feel really good about, but I was actually really upset when it happened. I'm going to try to um, not do that next time. Uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a way in which we start to live with, with conscience and concern. I'm, conscience, I'm conscious about what I do and say, and, uh, and I'm concerned how it's going to affect other people and myself. Right? And those, those are typically not most people would, 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 would feel like, okay, yeah, I, I feel like, A, I'm already doing that a little bit, but I, I would like to be, to be more aware of those types of things. So, in this arena of Vedana, this is really the initial data that drives our thoughts, our behaviors, what we say, how we react. So on a timeline, uh, it's just bringing the set point back a little bit earlier. Because if I'm more aware of the discomfort, the unpleasant, unworldly discomfort thing that prompts the sort of not kind and nice thing I say to my partner, if I catch it in the Vedana, maybe I won't say the thing. Can you spell that? V-E-D-A-N-A. -A. 
Now, like we said yesterday, we, we, Vedana is not a choice. Feelings, you know, they're, 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 it's not a choice, and it's also not your fault. So this is where we try to have that objective relation to Vedana, to feeling that, okay, like, like, you know, like if your knees hurt while you're sitting, it's not your fault that your knees hurt. But I don't know about you, but when my body's uncomfortable, I somehow think I did something to deserve it. I'm like, well, and then I think, well, if my knees didn't hurt, this retreat experience would be amazing. But it's not amazing because my knees hurt and my knees always hurt. And, and then we, we, we get kind of caught into that to-do, that inclination, that thinking about. Um, and maybe the meditation sit is just... Um, I can't tell you how many long sits I've had where basically it was just me having kindness and compassion for the fact that my legs hurt. That was what I did for the 30 minutes. Uh, you know, it doesn't make it... Just because we care about the unpleasantness or that we hold it in a different kind of way doesn't mean that it's going to go away. So we have to be careful we don't turn it into kind of this negotiation. We're like, well, I will care about you, but you need to stop hurting. So you stuck with it for 30 minutes. Typically what I'll do is try to... Don't, don't immediately jump out of it, but after a minute, I'll, I'll, or two or three minutes, I'll change position. And that's okay as well. Yeah. But it's important to be with it for a little while before we change. Right. So that's kind of as we, as we work through mindfulness, it's like totally appropriate to move and to adjust your posture, but maybe sit with the discomfort for like a minute or two and just see if you can change that relational feel to it. Oh yeah, this hurts, but, but I can be with that. Because what it does is it's, it's actually... What you're doing when you start working with these feelings and, and kind of changing is you're, you're training yourself to be with them in a different kind of way. It's really, what, it's really what that is. And that's not the end sum game, but that's the second foundation of mindfulness is what it does is it, it's rolling back the meter on reactivity. So what I hear that you saying is that, you know, maybe push the envelope a little bit on that. Sure. Hang with it longer. Hang with it a little bit longer, but not too long. Don't turn it into this self-punishment where some people hang too long. So you, a part of it is to know your personality. Are you, are you the type of person who's going to hang too long? Scott might hang too long. I'll probably hang too long. Yeah, yeah. And maybe some of us will just fix immediately. So experiment with that. Yeah, exactly. It's all a big experiment. So, yeah. So does that does that sound does that sound about right to you guys for a gauge before we do we do some different yeah, practices? Like, if you're gonna move like move like really slowly and like mind. Yeah, that's right. Kind of, that's right. Yeah. 